refugee. Women of hope and courage, living through poverty, fleeing from war and terror. So I am a refugee. Powerful and resilient, seeing my people through, sharing my truth and wisdom, so I am a refugee. Welcome to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here from the studios of MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco's Mission District. Of course, this is also a project of KPFA 94.1 FM Women's Magazine. And uh, I'm really excited uh, to be here. Happy Friday to everybody. It is December 15th, 2017. And uh, I'm really pleased because here on Women's Magazine, we like to focus on human rights, women's rights, things that affect everyone like the environment um, and and laws that either benefit or act against uh, the human spirit and and all, all of all of those things that support uh, creativity and community. So really happy to be here this Friday. Um, you know, at this point in time, as the conversation about feminism, the conversation about women's rights, um, the conversation about culture in relation to women and women's rights is so uh, it's riding pretty high right now um, for many, many reasons. And so I'm really pleased uh, to welcome uh, my guest today um, because we don't, you know, we also need to have the perspective of what's going on, not just of course here in the United States, but around the world. Um, so my guest today is um, Sama Damanhuri, and she is from uh, Saudi Arabia. She's an international scholar who's just finished up her master's degree in creative writing at Notre Dame de, de Nemours here in Belmont, California. And uh, 
she's got a lot of amazing projects on hand. Um, one of her short stories is being made into an animated short and uh, many other projects in the wings. And uh, she's launched, she and a friend have launched a suite of websites called We Are Saudis to try to bring the voices of the budding Saudi feminist movement out of the dark to support human rights around the world and in Saudi Arabia and for the women who live there and are from there. Welcome, Sama. Thank you, Valerie. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Um, so you have a pretty amazing story of leaving Saudi Arabia, coming to the United States, and having uh, so many really hard decisions to make in terms of how you want to live your life. But I'd like to step back a little bit so that we can give people an idea, a better idea, a, a clearer picture of what, it, what, it's, what life is like for a woman in Saudi Arabia. There's the male guardianship law, uh, which means that women need to be accompanied by a male uh, guardian or family member at pretty much at all times. Yeah. Um, tell us more about that male guardianship law and how that affects the lives of women in Saudi Arabia. I can answer that by telling you my story. Okay. Since it's related to male guardianship uh, system. So um, it took me a year and a half to cross the border of Saudi um, because I needed my father's signature to uh, come here and get my master's in creative writing. Um, and then when I came here, um, my father, within um, a year and a half of my, of my arrival to the United States, uh, he canceled the scholarship. Uh, he ordered me to go back and get married and arrange marriage, and then I can do whatever I want. He wanted me to stop my... Um, my master's and stop my education just for his own um, power and orders. But I refused that. Therefore, um, by the male guardianship law, um, if I disobey any order from my male guardian, then everything should be canceled, like financial support, um, even blessing from my parents. And as part of that system of law or there, there are so many other aspects of of your life, of of women's lives that are controlled by men. Can you go a little deeper into what they are in terms of permission to work and to travel and how that affects day-to-day -day life or, or even bigger things? Even simple things. Um, women cannot even leave their houses without a male permission. Uh, they cannot study, they cannot work, they cannot even cross the border, travel uh, without a male permission. And it's really difficult. It's all based on male pleasure and their mood. Even when I used to live in Saudi, I had to choose the right time to talk to my father. And if he was in a bad mood, then that's it. I would just cancel all my plans and stay home. And if I disobey him by any chance, just raising my voice or... Being a stubborn, uh, my simplest punishment is just being locked up, locked up at the house. Like li literally locked up at the house. Literally locked up at the house, not even having the key to leave. And I, I th 
I mean, this is, I'm glad we're having this conversation today um, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions or things that are just not understood about what it, what it means to be a woman in Saudi Arabia and from Saudi Arabia. Now, you've also said that kind of as you got a bit older, you would spend time with friends kind of behind your parents' back. And you also realized that other people were doing the same thing. How did that, how does that work? I mean, obviously, I know as an American how to do things behind my parents' back, but um, in in the society that we're talking about, it seems very closed and very restricted. It's very closed and very restricted. You're right. Um, Everything is based on the religion and the the government law. Um, So we have to wear the hijab and cover our faces and work in uh, non-mixed places, meaning only women uh, companies or schools. Um, and um, I have to, like, it was it was very difficult. And, and after I finished my bachelor, I felt that I had enough or just following rules. And and I felt that it was the right time for me to answer all the questions that was in my head all this time. Like, why should I wear the hijab? Why should I pray? Um, why should I follow the cultural rules? It was it was annoying. And I used to have migraine, nonstop headaches. It's like I was really tired. And I was like, okay, let me just have two lives. Lives in front of my parents and my culture that I am this well-behaved woman. And the other one is behind their back where I work at the places that I really, really liked working, like marketing and event planning and hanging out with my friends. And then I, I got even worse. I was like, I was, I was in a really horrible situation and I felt that this is not the place that I should be. I should be somewhere else. I should be honest. I should be straightforward. Mm-hmm. So, so then when you were realizing that you wanted to live an, this honest life and to be truthful about who you are and how you feel. Um, what, what were the next steps for you? How did you decide to come to the United States? And how, what was the process like for you to, to, to leave? It all started because I started working in marketing and event planning, and then I became a manager of a, a, a company, um, in marketing and event planning and I felt that I knew nothing about this field and I felt that I needed an international experience. So I was like, why not studying abroad? And uh, once I brought this idea just uh, as a joke in front of my father, he went so, so angry and he was like, don't even think about it. Don't even dream about it. It's impossible that you'll make it. And then my sister was like, why not? Like, let her just apply for this scholarship program. Maybe she'll get married if she applied. And I was like, my father was like, oh, she's getting married? Then yeah, 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 she can apply for this scholarship program. And then for a year and a half, um, I got a lot of proposals. I was looking around and through relatives and uncles and mother's side, father's side, just to find one male guardian that can come with me so I can just get my master's and go back home. That's all I wanted. And everyone was just busy. And whenever I get a proposal, I feel like I'm so suffocated. I'm really putting myself into a, 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 a prison, inside a prison, my family and the husband. So I was really scared. 
And I was like, this is not me. I'm not ready to get married. I'm not ready to be responsible for another person. I need to solve myself and, and just answers all the questions that was in my head. And then day by day, my father saw this girl who's been crying every single day and I became really depressed, locked myself in my room for almost a year doing nothing. All I wanted is just to get my master's. And then one of my mother's uncle was like, if you go right now to the United States and stay there for a year, I can come after that and, and be there with you. And my father was like, okay, that's fine. Then I'll take her to the United States, stay with her for five days. And then whenever this mother's uncle is available, he'll come and, and stay with me. But then he didn't. <laughs> And things got really worse, and my father thought that I made up, made it all up, and um, therefore he canceled the scholarship. Wait, so, so who accompanied you out of the country? Did anyone? My father came with me. Your father, your father came with you. That's another he rule. He brought you. That's another rule of the scholarship, by the way, program. That if I come here, and if I am a female, and I come here, I have to prove that my male guardian, who approved for me to get the scholarship is to be with me here for at least for one day and then he can do he can go back wow okay so your father finally said okay i'll take you as long as your mother's uncle comes and he'll be coming soon yes but then that uncle never came no so then you ended up living here on your own yes here in san francisco in the bay area yes Wow. Okay. So how long did it take before your family found out that your that the uncle hadn't come and that you were living alone? It took a month after my arrival. My father called called this uncle and my father is a somehow a, a rude man and he's very very powerful and and it's due to his work and to his life and his um, status back home so he was a little bit arrogant and my mother's uncle was annoyed by his reactions and therefore he just canceled it in front of him he was like oh I'm not going and then my father thought that I lied to him and I made it all up just for me to run away which was not the plan wow so you were implicated in a in a lie that was not uh, not yeah. actually a lie. Yeah. Hmm. So what happened next? Um, he got uh, so angry. Um, he told my siblings that he really hated me. It was the first time he ever said it. Um, I know my father. He's uh, he's a very uh, stubborn, aggressive, angry man. But uh, he would never say I hate you unless he really means it. It really put me down. And then I, I realized that if what do I want to do? Do I want to go back home and get my father's uh, father and mother blessings or should I stay here and finish my master's? And um, it was really hard because my siblings are like my kids. Um, I somehow raised them. Um, I come from a really abusive uh, family. My parents are always fighting. They never cared if we were home or not. Um, and then I decided that I should stay here and finish my education. Yeah, and at that point, it almost sounds like it would be 
the safest thing for you to do in terms of making sure that you're uh, I mean, f- physically, you know, safe in a place, but also uh, free to finish your master's degree and um, see see your see your goal through. Yeah. These are some really t- difficult decisions I know you, you've you've had to make. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the family dynamics and and what has happened with your family uh, since your father? canceled your scholarship um once he canceled the scholarship i called his mother crying i was like i have no money i have no scholarship i have no house nothing what should i do so she asked my father that he should fly here to washington and sign papers um at the saudi embassy in washington to get me my scholarship back but he was like no i'm not gonna fly to sama no i'll never do that i can just send a fax he sent a fax but the government was like no it's not like that you have to fly here um, but he said no, and then one of my uncles was like, you know what, I can fly um, to Washington since I'm retired and I'm old and I have nothing, but you should give me one thing in return, that you should sleep with me. And then uh, my mother after that, um, uh, I was talking to her once and she got so angry and pissed, um, and she was like, you know what, I'm not gonna never talk to you again, you're, you're a biatch, you're a liar. Um, don't put me between you and your father. And um, I had three cousins. Uh, so I used to live in San Francisco when my father canceled the scholarship. And I had three cousins that they lived um, five blocks away from my home. Um, they just blocked me everywhere. They just don't want to talk to me. They don't want to support me. But once they heard that my father canceled the scholarship, they just came. I, I, I don't know. I think just to make fun of me, it was, it was weird. But everyone literally just abandoned me back home. And the, I think the the gravity of the situation, like just how heavy that is. Um, what did I mean? What did you think you were going to do at that point? Like when you had your family who was, you know, shaming you, mocking you, turning their backs. Uh, what? I mean, obviously, I know you were just probably just devastated. But then what was your first thought about where where do I go next? What do I do next? How did you find your way out of that? There was a very annoying, clear voice in my head that was just saying one word, wait. Just wait. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll wait a month and then two months and then three months. And I was like, that's it, enough. Like... I really had enough of waiting. I cannot take it anymore. Um, I became very depressed. Um, I was bleeding for a whole month. Um, I locked myself in a room. Um, I, I just, I, I wish that I, you know, I was dead. I didn't want to live the life anymore. And um, also, once I realized that that I can. Um, I can never see my siblings again. My brain just shut down. I, I, for like eight months, I couldn't even form a language, Arabic nor English. It was like no language. Were you still in school at this point? You were still doing your master's degree? Actually, I finished my master's last week. Congratulations. Thank you. 
That's amazing. Um, and you got your master's in creative writing. Yes. And I think that, or I've seen what I've learned from you is that your art and your writing have been, you've been telling your story in many different ways. Yes. And as I saw you come in here today to Mutiny Radio, and I saw you just very bright and, uh, you know, like ebullient and excited and, and definitely not, you know, the... Um, definitely in, the, in, the, in a much better place. So let's talk about your art. Let's talk about um, this community that you found through your master's program, um, because I think that's a, the next step really in the story is to talk about how you're still here. Yeah. <laughs> after all that. Um, well, my supervisor at the university, Jackie Berger, um, she's the first one who, like, stood up for me and never left. She's always around. She's always making sure that I am being helped and I am on the right track. I really wanted to leave my master's. I just wanted to apply for asylum and, you know, be a regular immigrant who work in a restaurant <laughs> and wait for asylum. But my Jackie was like, no, you're getting your master's because you need it so, be, so you can get a good job here. Um, and she started to introduce me to people. How about we talk to this person? How about um, uh, we, we, you know, you work here? Or um, how about we um, do a GoFundMe page? And she was always around. And one day she was like, um, you know what? I, I, Jim McGarry works at Notre Dame de Namur, and, uh, and I think he can help you. So her and I went to Jim McGarry's office, and uh, I told him my story, and he was like, you know what? Um, I think I know someone. His name is Larry Parcell. He works at the Catholic Workers' House in Redwood City, and they offer housing, food, and 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 they they can also grant a scholarship for you if 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 that's possible. And then he was like, I think I heard that there is a one room available two weeks ago, but I'm not sure if it's available right now or not. Let me just talk to him. He talked to him and he was like, yeah, it's still available. So we went the next day, Jim McGarry, Jackie Berger, and me to the Catholic Workers' House. We had the interview and um, and then it's after that, just like a, a big door just opened. I, I started to know more people through their networks and and the donors, they came, paid the tuition. And then other people heard the story. They were like, oh my gosh, a Saudi woman, we're gonna get her car. And then other people, oh my gosh, a Saudi woman, free boxing classes and just like people just coming in coming in we're here for you we're gonna support you that's that's amazing as i was reading your 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 story you know um as we've been communicating before before today and talking about all the you know the the scholarships the food the boxing classes to get out the stress right the um the car that was um, donated yeah. for, for you to be able to, to live your life. And I was like, wow, this, this woman is like born under a bit of a lucky star in a way, um, just being touched by all these people and, and kind of like who are drawn to you and your light and your creativity and seeing that uh, the need and uh, also knowing that you're giving back. But also we discovered in this very small world, because it is a small world, we're here in San Francisco, um, Sama and I, and uh, Jim McGarry 
was my high school religion teacher at St. Ignatius College Prep here in San Francisco. So I saw the name Jim McGarry and the with Lawrence Purcell, uh, and I said, wait a second. I think I know exactly who that is. And sure enough, um, my old social justice religion teacher, Jim McGarry, is the same, one and the same. So we, we have that connection here. Yeah. Isn't uh, he, he a great guy? Yeah, he was amazing. He always tried to instill in us a sense of social justice and um, tell us about things that were happening around the world that were very far outside um, the mind of an American 15-year-old. Um, so, uh, Mr. McGarry, I, I definitely tried my hardest to, to uh, pay attention and learn about East Timor uh, back in the 90s. Um, and actually, I actually have a friend who was uh, did her master's in peace and conflict studies and was uh, doing um, post-conflict photography in East Timor. So thanks, Jim. Um, but Sama, it's amazing. So you, you come from you come from Saudi Arabia, a Muslim country, oppressive towards women. You come to the United States. Family says, we, we can't we can't support you anymore. And then you find yourself with the Catholic workers. Um, what an interesting kind of wave of experience um, to, to cross those cultural lines, the, the religious lines, and, and all of those things. Um, I think it's wonderful to sh- that it shows that, you know, doesn't matter, you know, the religious part doesn't matter, but community matters and, and what people feel is right and to help one another, that kind of golden rule or that, uh, you know, just that willingness to, to, um, to, to support, um, our fellow human beings. It's really amazing. It is. It is. So you've been, so the community rallied around you as well. They should. Um, and you finished your master's degree last week. Yes. Congratulations again on that. So you, and it's in creative writing. So you have some really interesting projects coming up. There's a short story that you've written um, that is currently being made into an animated short. Tell us about that story and uh, the, where that is in the process. Um, I wrote this story um, in January, 2016, before I went to Egypt. Uh, where I visit, uh, I visited my family after two years apart, and um, being two years apart, I I've totally changed. Um, I mean, I'm no longer Muslim. I I I believe in you know other things right now, and I I I just changed, and I was a little bit scared of how my family would react to that, and I just wanted to show them that even though I've changed. But I still carry the same love and respect for them. So I wrote a story. This is about a white paper that used to live in a world that made of paper and only color they know is white. And they made them believe and if they touch any new color is poisonous. Uh, therefore, they should be cut by the scissor. And they have hearts on their chest indicates that if it turns into gray means they touch colors. Therefore, they should be Dutch, uh, dead, I'm sorry, but if it's white, it means they are okay. And they were not allowed to leave this world. Only a few papers were allowed to leave the world just to collect more papers so they can build more stuff in the world. Uh, the main character is the long paper. He was one of the few paper, uh, papers who were allowed to leave the world, and one day uh, he was out, a hurricane happened, it took him to a new world. It was very colorful. Um, at the beginning, he was very scared to touch any colors, but curiosity was stronger than anything. So he touched colors. Uh, he became colorful, except one place was white, his heart. 
um, he's gonna find his way uh, back home. Uh, he's gonna choose to go back home and um, show everyone that being colorful is not poisonous. And right now, I actually, um, we are a team of six people who are working on it. Um, they are very passionate about the story. We are working on the uh, short animated movie, but um, the team believe um, once we're done with that, we can uh, make a, a longer feature film, a comic book series, and a video game out of the story. Amazing. Samal, you're so inspiring um, to so many so many people and uh, obviously you know your stories and and what you're sharing are are gathering people around you who want to be a part of it um, want to be help you uh, to elevate voice your voice um, your story but also the story of so many people and so many women um, so I know that you, you also have other projects kind of in the works um, as well, which are very exciting. And I'm sure next time when you have more on that, you can come back. But you also have taken it on yourself as well. You and a friend have started a website, kind of a suite of websites called We Are Saudis. Yes. Um, .org is in, in English, that one that you're building right now. Yes. And then there's two others, .com and .net, more supportive of people inside Saudi Arabia and in Arabic, right? So yes. please tell us about uh, We Are Saudis and what you're trying to do with these uh with these channels of communication? Um, so this website um, idea came um, because of um, all the Saudi refugees all over the world. Um, we just want to gather all the, the the sounds of aches and, and pain, um, whether it's outside of Saudi or inside in one place. Because we have a Saudi activist um, in, in Snapchat only, and some in, tw in Twitter and others on Instagram. And it's really hard for a Saudi to you know, follow all that and be in, you know, updated of all their, their, um, you know, activities and, and support. So we came up with this idea that we have to have one website that gather all that in one place. And, and each one of us right now, we are like more than five people so far. So each one of us, um, gather to work on this website with uh, one goal. So for me, um, why I was really excited about this website, I just want to show my parents and everyone who left me back home that I understand. I really understand. I understand that they are going through a lot. And um, the culture and the religion and the law back home forced them to do a lot of things that they were, it was just not logic. And it was against what they really wanted to do. And the only language for them to show me that they are in pain is just being hatred and aggressive. Mm -hmm. So I just want to, uh, my part will focus on helping Saudis mentally and emotionally. I will collaborate with Powerhouse Gym. We're going to create exercises, um, for, especially for women, because uh, gym is like a taboo uh, for women uh, in Saudi. And um, I'm, I'm also going to try to make a small YouTube videos or like clips to how um, they can think differently. And I have another partner who's going to focus um, on uh, women's uh, rights in Saudi. She's going to gather all the stories that, the ugly stories that it's only popular in the Arabic mm -hmm. social media. And we yeah. weren't translated into English. Um, that's what, um, and also we're going to uh, post the news. Oh, no. Um, and uh, for example, recently Saudi Arabia announced that women can drive 
but um how can I start? <laughs> yeah, we were, we were talking about this. So, yes, the kind of very recent announcement, right? There's kind of this young prince, this crown prince, um, who uh, is only 32 years old, uh-huh. just younger than I am, um, and kind of has this air of opening up society in a sense. So there was a declaration made within the past couple of months. It was September 26th. And you know that date because October 26th was supposed to be a big significant day. So yep. so they made an announcement September 26th saying women will be able to drive in June of 2018. Tell us about... Period. Yes, dot. <laughs> and now dot, dot, dot. So yeah, let's talk about this. Um, now, Sadie, women can drive, which we, is not true, uh, not true yet, and may in fact not actually happen. Happen. So let's talk about that because there was a big campaign to, to push for that. Yeah. Um, so they announced, um, actually, before that, we are the Saudi women, uh, the Saudi women refugees all over the world. Um, they were uh, trying their best to do a huge campaign on October 26, encouraging the Saudi women in Saudi to take their male guardian uh, cars and drive and, you know, um, uh, video uh, themselves driving and then posted on social media and not only that they also were in touch with the biggest news all over the world like BBC um, ABC just name it the biggest news in the whole world so we feel that we are so confident that this time the whole world is going to know how women are really um, submissive and suppressive in this um, community. And the government somehow was a little bit scared and they were like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, everyone is going to know how horrible we are. So they chose exactly a month before our campaign to announce that women can drive. And People all over the world like, yeah, women can drive, women can drive. And totally after a month of the Saudi government announcement, they totally forgot about it. And they are so sure the women right now are driving back home. But the ugly truth, it's not. What happened after two months of the announcement, they announced, but not internationally, only in the Saudi a local channel, um, saying, uh-oh, um, there is a problem in uh, women driving, so we're going to postpone that um, decision six or seven months. Right, and this is a pattern of, uh, I mean, this is a pattern in Saudi Arabia and other places, yeah. but this is a pattern there as well, uh, making promises as kind of a, a, a political uh, um, PR stunt, right? To let, tell people, oh, we're opening up. This is wonderful. Aren't we great? And then not actually fulfilling their promise. Yeah. It, it reminded me of another thing. When I was 10 years old, my father came back home. He was really excited. He was like, oh my gosh, the government just announced that they are going to build this huge building that gather all the ministries in one place. So uh, whenever you want to do uh, something that it's related to the Ministry of Health and another thing that it's related to the Ministry of Education, you don't have to commute to two other to two places you know, around the city or even two cities. You can just go to one place and just finish all your documents and papers that you need to do. To the extent my father took us to the land, he was like, look, look at the trucks, they are working on it. And it's a 10 years plan. And right now I'm 29 years and nothing happened. Yeah. Well, we see this pattern in many ways. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but this is why we're here today on Women's Magazine here at MutinyRadio.fm, and uh, hopefully soon um, to edit this down and send part of this out to our sisters at KPFA 94.1 FM. And and to, to, to let your voice and all of these voices be heard, um, because it is a time when people are very ready and willing to call out uh, the shortcomings of government and the lies of government. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a really exciting time. Um, now, of course, that, that doesn't mean that, that things are changing every, for day to day for, for people um, right away, but uh, changing their hearts and minds and uh, exposing them to new ideas and giving them the support um, that they may need uh, to help them through is what's really important right now. That's hu- human to human connections. Um, so the so we are Saudis. dot org. Yeah, that was um, Saudis. dot org, um, and then there is another one, Saudi. dot com. It's a forum where ex-Muslims can share their beliefs, their thoughts, and they can also meet other Saudis who are non-believers of the religion anymore. And there is a third website, which is .net, which um, focuses on writing. We want Saudis to write about everything they believe, and uh, it's somehow forbidden in Saudis' website or the local channels to even just talk about these subjects. And it's interesting because we're talking about how the television networks within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Because I mean, let's be clear: it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kingdom. It's a monarchy. Mm-hmm. There's no parliament. Mm-hmm. People are not voting for their leaders. It is a series. It's a system of of uh, royal nepotism, yeah. right? Where it's a huge royal family and everybody gets a job in some ministry or another, right? <laughs> Which you know. That's just how it is right now. It's just how it is. And how it is right now. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad we talked about the um, the, the driving thing. Yeah. Because that when that big announcement came, my first question was, wait a second. Hmm. Is this, is this young prince... <laughs> it's, sorry, as an American, it's weird to say a prince. Um, is this young prince actually uh, someone who has a progressive mind? Um, is this a step of, uh, toward progress, or is this just further patriarchy saying, "Well, I, with the power vested in me as the male prince and leader of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, now say women may drive"? Um, I, I had that thought, um, but uh, it is. I, I'm glad I asked you because that the fact that they announced that kind of empty promise, it's empty right now, uh, that women yeah. will be allowed to drive a month ahead of this huge international movement of women who are about to stand up. It really shows that they are scared of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, it's definitely they are scared. Um, and after, by the way, after they announced that women can drive, um, they tweeted on, in Arabic, of course. They, they are very smart. They know if they tweeted in English, everyone is going to know about it. Um, so they tweeted in Arabic. They were like, to all rebellion, rebellious women all over the world, don't even think of taking the credit to yourselves. It's our blessings that we made women drive. And we have we have a few more minutes here. We've got a little more time. Um, 
So we are we are Saudis.org.com.net. So how how are you staying connected and, and getting this information out of Saudi Arabia? Because I know that a lot of you know you're you've kind of cut a lot of ties with people back home, but the internet is still you know okay. kind of kind of an open yeah. um, forum. So how are you how are you drawing? Um, contributors to your websites through social media of course especially twitter twitter is like uh, number one uh, for saudis to talk about what's going on um with the government the religion and the culture and my friends i still have friends my siblings back home um everyone i'm meeting um since i came out and i spoke about my story right now i have um a lot of followers all over social media who are very proud of me and they are encouraged me to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm really inspiring them. Um, so far, some women flee the country. Um, one actually uh, finish, uh, finished her PhD because of me after I went out and spoke about my story. She was really dev- devastated. She couldn't finish her um, PhD program in Canada, but um, once she heard my story, she was like, well, I gotta finish it then. It's like we're we're becoming bigger and bigger every day. We're not giving up. <laughs> well, your bravery is is a big big part of that. Um, so I'm I'm so pleased and I'm so encouraged and inspired by you and 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 by the women you're you're mentioning, um, who are willing to step out, and and know that that there are really serious consequences. Yeah. Um, and that they're really. Um, making really huge life decisions. Uh, but again, very encouraged by it as well, because, and also by the, the response of the community here that has c- come to, to your aid, knowing that it's the right thing to do to support you um, and your work. Yeah. So uh, happy to be here uh, with you, Sama. Thank you. <laughs> And you also have um, you, you also have a book that you've that you're writing, right? You have a, a memoir, or tell us about the book that you're writing. Yeah, so I have other art uh, projects going on. I am um, writing a memoir, a collection of personal essays about my life story, and um, throughout coming out and speaking up, um, I met a lot of people and uh, there are three people who reached out to me they're from moda county here in in california it's like a little bit off after sacramento um and they were telling me that they don't have a university and they wish if they can build a university and i was like i'm down (laughs) we're gonna build a university as well um and um, there are also I've done documentaries already, um, and there are there are producers from LA who are interested in making my my story into a feature film as well. So, so so many things. It's like you're kind of casting out all of these beautiful threads, you know, that <laughs> that people are latching onto and and running with it. So, um, working on your memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, and also helping to start a university in Modoc County in California. Tell how did that come up, and and what is the uh, what stage are you in right now with that? Very early stage. Um, it just uh, we came up with the idea, and we are very excited about it, and we believe that we can we can do it. Um, I already uh, started um, 
talking about it and so far actually Jim McCary was very supportive and he's also very interested to be part of it as well so what I really like uh, about the people here in the Bay Area is that they are very helpful and they really want to make a change and they just help anyone that come through their life and cross um, and they they are very humble and um, and and very kind. Well, I'm so happy you landed here in the San Francisco Bay Area yeah. for many many reasons. Um, so let's see. We have a few more minutes. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, or any other stories you wanted to share? Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's wonderful having you as a guest here on Women's Magazine as we kind of open up the conversation about feminism coming out of and in and throughout Saudi Arabia. Um, and to, to add that to our international conversation about women's rights, human rights. Um, so do you have any, um, you know, this has been a big year for, for women in the United States, of course, um, the Women's March on Washington and throughout the country uh, last uh, day after Inauguration Day, uh, the biggest protests on U.S. soil ever. Uh, there'll be another one coming up in January. Mm -hmm. um, wondering if you had any plans to, to join that or be a part of it in any way, maybe. I would love to. And <laughs> <laughs> get you out on the streets, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, the time is ripe. Um, I'm going to play a little music and then we'll chat for a second, see if there's anything else we want to, we want to cover before Absolutely. we, before we sign off. You are listening to Women's Magazine here. I'm Global Val and this is my guest, Sama Damanhuri. Am I saying your name correctly? Yes, you are. I am. Could you say it for, for, for Arabic for, virgin? <laughs> yeah. Um, Sama Damanhuri. Okay. There we go. We're doing it. We're getting it together, folks, here at MutinyRadio.fm, San Francisco's Mission District. We'll be right back. Here's a little more music from Emma's Revolution. Fleeing from war and terror, so I am a refugee. Powerful and resilient, seeing my people through, sharing my truth and wisdom, so I am a refugee. Moving our people forward, no longer a refugee. I 
All right, you are listening to Women's Magazine with Global Val here at MutinyRadio.fm in collaboration with KPFA 94.1 FM Pacifica Radio here in California. And uh, Samada Manhuri, my guest today, a Saudi expatriate and uh, international scholar, writer, motivational speaker. And uh, you had... Another message, one more message for the for the people out there. Yes, um, I'm just going to leave it here by saying, um, just remember to deliver an open mind. Deliver an open mind. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to thank you so much for being my guest here today, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. And we'll continue to follow your story and support your voice and support your work anytime. Thank you. Um, We've got a couple minutes here. I wanted to read, I like to read a poem sometimes at the end of the show. And this one I wrote the other day. And then when I realized that Samal was coming, I thought maybe this is a good one. So here we go. There's no title for this. As luscious as the blushing skies of morning are with calming hues of peach and blue, my light shines at night. When even in dimly lit dreams, I see most clearly. Last night's antique boutique handed me a silver windmill. Inside, Dorothy had left a watch for me because time stood.